This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the last lesson in this series. Brother Sarah is going to begin a new series, and I don't know exactly what that is. I left it up to him since he's going to be teaching the entire month of, of May. Uh, but this is the last lesson in this series on aging. And uh, I don't know about you, and I think I've said this before to you, but this has been a tremendous help to me. If none of the rest of you have gotten anything out of it, I want you to know your pastor or your, your teacher has. And it's been a blessing to me. I'll tell you what the main blessing it's been is uh, I never really have complained about aches and pains. I mention them. I've mentioned them in this class. And um, the various things, you know, that we experience as we're getting older, all of you have experienced those things, and probably a whole lot more than I have. I've never really complained about it, you know, but uh, except maybe to my wife. I may have complained to her a couple times. But, you know, <clears throat> I've... I'm <laughs> okay, dear. <laughs> Don't make a fool out of me, okay? <laughs> uh, but one thing is I've, been come, I've become satisfied with the status quo and, um, and, and uh, realize that the phase that we're going through in our elder years is a phase that God allows us to go through and maybe t sometimes it's not quite as pleasant as we would like it to be. And we have a few aches and pains. It takes us a little longer. The floor has gotten further away. If you notice when you stoop down to pick up something, notice how far the floor is from you now than it used to be. And, um, and when you get up in the morning, it takes a little while to stand up straight and all that kind of stuff. But I become satisfied without realizing that God has allowed us to go through this phase of life to get us ready for something better. Amen. And I'm looking forward to it. And I thank God that I'm, I'm at this stage because that's not going to be very long. I'm going to join my brother in heaven and my mother and my father and my two sisters and, and her parents and, and uh, her brother and others, you know. But more than, more than that, I get to see Jesus. And uh, so, you know, this has been fun for me, teaching this series of lessons. Forgive me for calling you old people. But I calls them like I sees them, you see. <laughs> All right, some things I've been taught trouble me. You have that problem? Well, if you don't, I'm going to help you have the problem before we get out of here. First um, Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read these first 14 verses of this chapter and then get right into the lesson here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edification which is edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved having turned aside unto vain janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if any man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the for righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, <clears throat> for them that defile themselves with mankind, for man-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing, 
uh, that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for, to, for, for that he accounted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was therefore a blamer, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and, um, and, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did ignorantly, I, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, ex, uh, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And what Paul's dealing with here is some believers that had gotten, um, had, had begun believing things that, that were not true. And I don't know if you have realized this in your older years or not, but there are sometimes some things that we begin to think and believe that really aren't true. And the older we get, the more susceptible we are to those things. And uh, this lesson's a good warning for all of us today. And I'm going to deal with some very specific things in the lesson this morning. And if you've read it ahead of time, um, you'll understand what I'm about to say. By the way, we don't have a PowerPoint today because we were supposed to be in the chapel and we're not set up over there for PowerPoint yet. And hopefully we'll get that resolved as well. And, and when we move over there, we'll have all these things. And so far in this series, I've only mentioned one doctrinal error. Uh, the error of thinking that someone could be saved and then lost again. You know, <clears throat> as Baptists, that's not a part of our doctrinal system. We believe that once you're born again, you're forever a child of God. Just like when you were born into the family that you were born in, you're still a member of that family and you will be till you die. Even though some of you got married and changed your last name, you're still a part of the family that you were born in, right? Our spiritual birth is very much like that. We're still a part of the family that we were born in when we, when we became born again spiritually into God's family. We're his children. And that's not going to change. You may change. I may change. I have changed. And uh, we may do things that displease our Heavenly Father. Truth is, when I grew up, I did things that displeased my earthly father, my earthly mother, and paid the price for it. I grew up in the age when, he, when the belt was in action. In fact, my brother and I, this week, as we, he was laying in the bed, I said, Harold, do you remember when Dad used to keep a switch over the sun visor in the car? And we laughed about that. He did, and he used it. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he engraved on it, I need thee every hour. <laughs> it seemed like it was there anyway. And we had a switch over top of the kitchen door at home. Had two little nails up there and that switch laid on, and, and uh, it got used. And, uh, and, I'm very, and I'm grateful it did. Because I think it helped mold my character, to be honest about that. And uh, my, my brother and I also talked about uh, bedtime. Dad would say, okay, it's bedtime. But we knew that that wasn't bedtime yet. It wasn't bedtime until Dad put his arms, put his arms on, the, on the arms of the chair and went like this and reached for his belt. We knew it was bedtime then, <laughs> you know. But, you know, sadly, this error takes away, this error of, um, that you can lose your salvation. It really takes away hope because it sets you out on a hopeless course of keeping yourself saved. And we can't keep ourselves saved. There's nothing you and I can do. It's finished. It's done. That's what Jesus meant when he said on the cross, it is finished. The work of redemption was complete when Christ died on the cross. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. You know, we get, we get accused as Baptists who believe that doctrine, we believe it's a biblical doctrine of, of being able to get saved and live any way we want to. Now, that's what the switch is for. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 is all about, where God talks about chastening his children, and he does. He takes us to the woodshed. You ever been there? Of course you have. Uh, you're not... 
we call you saints and the Bible calls you saints, but in the, in the human definition, in our definition of sainthood sometimes, we, we get it out of whack and we think that a saint is somebody that's perfect, you know? Well, I'll tell you the truth, folks, and I hate to, I hate to bear this news to you, but I'm looking at a bunch of people today that aren't perfect. And the truth, further truth of that is I got about 50 people looking back at me at, at somebody that isn't perfect. Check my, check my wife, she'll authenticate that. She'll verify that. Well, anyway, but people who believe that doctrine get very confused sometimes and, uh, and discouraged. When I pastored in Indianapolis, we had a man in our church that when Jan and I first got there, we, uh, we had to go to the airport. We were flying home for something, and a man by the name of Andy, we'll just call him Andy. That was his name, but I'm not going to give you his last name. He drove us to the airport. His wife was a faithful member of the church, but he didn't come. And so on the way to the airport, I said, Andy, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you born again? He says, no, sir, I'm a hard-down sinner. Andy had a problem with drinking alcohol. But you know, after a couple of years, Andy made a profession of faith and was a faithful member of our church. I baptized him. Faithful member of our church for a number of years. I was there for 17 years and about... Uh, 15 of those years or 14 of those years, and he was very faithful and came with his wife. He joined the church, got involved in the church, and all of a sudden he disappeared. I didn't see him. And um, so I went to see him. His wife's name was Wilma, and I said, Wilma, what's happened to Andy? And Wilma says, well, Pastor, I guess maybe you need to come see him. So I did. And so I got there, and I said, Andy, what's going on? He says, well, Pastor, I'm just a hard-down sinner. I said, Andy, you're not. And I tried to give him some verses of Scripture that would help him. But see what happened. Andy was raised with that doctrine that you could lose your salvation. And if you didn't live perfect, a perfect life, you'd lose it and go to hell. You know, you'd lose your salvation. And Andy got so discouraged with that, he went, he went back to the bottles, what happened. And he got so discouraged with that, he just dropped out of church. And I couldn't get him to come back again. And I believe Andy died in that condition. But I believe he still went to heaven. Andy didn't think he was going to heaven anymore. But you know that that doctrine is so damaging that people live with that. That if they do the slightest thing, they're going to lose their salvation and go to hell. Well, that's not what the Bible says, you know, and I could, give you, I could give you a bunch of verses, but I don't have time to get to that, so let's just move on. Doctrine always influences our life, for good or bad, and many of the sinful life patterns that, that are recognized in the New Testament are inseparably linked to false teaching, and many people have fallen prey to those false teachings. So it's incumbent upon every believer, especially the elder, to confront error wherever it creeps into our thinking so that, uh, so that we can spend the remainder of our lives in truth, enjoying the peace and the confidence that, brings, that, that a good doctrine brings with us. False doctrine brings confusion, fear, doubt, and despair. We just read uh, verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy, and you can read those again. But Titus 2.1 says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Doctrine, true doctrine, biblical doctrine is important. And we need to hang on to it. Because the truth is when we get older sometimes, you know that I think the devil works on older people more than he does on younger people. We think that younger people are really possessed, you know, really, really hammered with Satan, and they are. But you know, some of us older folks, we have a battle, don't we? We have a real battle. And so we got to be careful of that. Now, there are other teaching, doctrinal teachings, uh, that trouble our lives, the lives of older people, as well as the younger people. So let's look at them. One of them is a matter of instant sanctification. Sometimes we call it sinless perfection. That's Roman numeral one. Instant sanctification. The essence of this false teaching 
in its many forms, and there are several forms of it, is that by some process, usually a series of steps that a person takes, that he may obtain a state of either sinlessness, sinless perfection, or near perfection, at any rate, a higher form of spiritual life than the rest of us who, who uh, us, uh, struggling peons. And according to this doctrine, the cloud nine experience may, attain, may be attained by yielding, or you've heard this statement, let go and let God. You've heard that. Letting go and letting God or some other equivalent. So, letter A, sanctification is progressive. Sanctification is progressive. The truth of the matter is that sanctification is progressive. It's not instantaneous. One must gradually grow in and by the grace of God. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us that. Growth is never instantaneous. You didn't become the age you are instantaneous. When you were born, you were born as a little baby. Not much you could do except cry as a little baby. I heard a baby crying out in the foyer this morning, and Herschel Haynes is sitting next to me up there at the switcher, and I said, that's your granddaughter. <laughs> he said, really? I said, yeah, I was just down there, and your granddaughter's out in the foyer. <laughs> and, you know, the only thing that little girl can do is cry. Her mama has to change her diapers for her, has to feed her, has to do everything else. Now she's going to grow a little bit and pretty soon she'll learn how to use the potty. And uh, she'll learn how to feed herself. That'll come pretty quick. And then lo and behold, after a while she's going to get up on all fours and crawl around. And before you know it, she's going to be straight up running all over the house, getting it all, opening, opening the cabinet, you know, you know how it goes. And then one day she's going to get as old and crepit as we are if the Lord tires is coming. And that's, what, that's the way our sanctification, that's the way our spiritual growth is. It's not instantaneous. It's progressive. And, uh, and, so, and so that's the way it is, okay? Uh, never in addressing uh, the many sins that are mentioned in the New Testament do we find the writer, a writer of the New Testament, advising any sort of act or a series of acts that supposedly will impart instant victory over them. Now, I've known people that have gotten saved and right away have gotten victory over smoking or some other habit they may have had. I've known that. And, 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 but, but the truth is, uh, they're not spiritually mature. They're little babies. In fact, the Scripture speaks of us as babies. Desire the sincere milk of the Word like an infant does, the Bible tells us. And that's the reason we need the Word of God taught. That's the reason we need to read the Bible so we can grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we can have the right kind of food, nourishment, so we can grow spiritually and become what God wants us to be. You know the object of salvation is to become, the image, become in the image of God or the image of Christ. And we're predestined to be in the image of Christ. And uh, we're not always there. And most of us aren't there yet. And we're pretty close to heaven, some of us. And uh, we're just not there yet, you know. Uh, and so it's still a progressive matter. Still a progressive matter. Always, in, always instead of a kind of teaching. Uh, it, it's it's, it's kind of like we've taught in the book of Hebrews. Or excuse me, Philippians. I'll get it right here in a minute. Ephesians, and then the parallel passages in, in Colossians, that uh, the, 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 uh, what happens is we put off the old lifestyle, and that's not an instant, uh, it's, not in the, it's not in the instant um, sense there in either of those passages. It's, it's a progressive sense. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Uh, we hear... The preacher preached and the Holy Spirit deals with us. It's about something in our life. So we go on our face before God and say, God, help me to have victory over that. That's putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Now, that's just one thing. But, you know, the next Sunday, the Holy Spirit's going to get with us about something else that needs to be taken care of. So we put that off and put something else on its place, in its place. You see, that's the growth. So, letter B, justification is instant. 
not sanctification. The error of instant sanctification fundamentally lies in the confusion of justification and sanctification. Here's justification. Uh, we're, we're considered perfect by faith. That is, instantaneously, the perfect righteousness of Christ is attributed or reckoned to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. In God's sight, we are perfect. In God's sight, when we're justified, it's just as if we never sinned in God's sight. And the truth is, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, we're, or it's just as if we never sinned because our sins are put behind us. They're under the blood. God will never bring them up to our, our account again. We'll never be faced with those sins ever again. They're put behind the back, back, God's back. The, the, the Old Testament prophets tells us where it can never see them again. They're cast down into the depths of the sea where they can never be retrieved. Think about that. Now that's um, imagery that God uses to describe to us how far our sins are put from us. As far as the east is from the west. You realize the east never meets the west? Um, you, you take off across the Atlantic. You go east. But the truth is you never, never reach the west. The west is always still out of reach. I don't care where you go in the world. The west is somewhere else. You see, and that's the way our sin is. But then letter C, the infusion of the two is confusion. Those, whose hold, those who hold to instantaneous sanctification doctrine can only despair after a time, like Andy did. After all, in old age, there are enough trials to remind us of the fact that there is much sin remaining in us, even as a believer, and that we have by no means achieved perfection or even life on a higher plane than other Christians. And so the confusion reigns sometimes. So don't believe the devil's lie that you can get lost, okay? If you're saved, if you've been born again, rest in that. Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, or powers, and you know those verses there in Romans chapter 8, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. God says in, in um, John chapter 10 that, uh, that, we, that, he, that Jesus is in the Father's hand, and we're in His hand, and nothing can get us out of the Father's hand. or no, no, Nothing can get us out of Jesus' hand because He's in the Father's hand, and we're there. We're there. Just live right. All right, there's another thing that troubles some older folks, and that is the soon coming of Jesus. Now, before you fall out of your seat, listen to me, okay? Um, this is certainly the believer's hope. We believe in the soon coming of Jesus. Um, um, it's true that Jesus can, may, and will return at any moment to receive, to receive His bride, the church. We definitely should not think any different or believe anything other than that truth. The coming of Christ is eminent. That word eminent means it could happen any time. However, an improper view of this biblical truth can become another harmful false doctrine that may have a bad effect on the elderly who believe that he, can, that he can know the time when Jesus is coming. Now, as I read through this, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because I, I want to get to some other things that are very important. I can hardly see that clock back there. And my, my watch is acting up. I think it's 11.35, but I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> um, there are some other things in the lesson I really want to touch on today, so I'm, I'm going to kind of skin over some of this here. But um, uh, we have to be careful when we start claiming, you know, Jesus is coming soon. He is. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever, don't ever believe anything different, but don't set dates. I've been guilty sometimes, and I've even recently, with all that's going on in the world, and I, and I think it's true, 
I've been guilty uh, of, of saying, you know, I believe Jesus is coming in my lifetime. I don't really know that. You know, I've been preaching that for over 50 years. When I was a young preacher, I preached that. And I believed it. But he hadn't come yet. But he is coming. But when we start setting dates, it becomes a real problem. Let me give you some quick examples here. Uh, back in the mid-1800s, a Bible scholar by the name of William Miller claimed that Jesus would return on March 21, 1844. He set three or four other dates when those didn't happen, and, uh, but, they, but he died and still Jesus hadn't come yet. And uh, he was the founder, or he, he was the result, uh, the resulting from that was the Seventh-day Seventh Adventism. More recently, in, 18, in excuse me, 1988, Edgar Wisnott, who was a former NASA rocket engineer, he wrote a book titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. He set several dates. They didn't happen. Wisnott died in 2001. Still, Jesus hasn't come back yet, right? Hal Lindsey. Anybody ever read his book, The Late Great Planet Earth? Anybody read that? You did? You did? Anybody else? It was a pretty popular book. Uh, did you pick up in that book that he set the date of 1988 for Jesus to come back? He didn't, did he? How about Harold Camping? Remember him more recently? I remember Harold Camping was an evangelist, uh, radio Christian broadcaster. In fact, he was the president of the Family Radio Network. We, we didn't get that in this area. But we did get up in New Jersey where I live, and we lifted until it all had the most beautiful Christmas, Christian music, even better music in my estimate than some that we hear on BBN. Well, <clears throat> Harold Camping, uh, for years, Suggested dates that Jesus was coming back, September 6, 1994. And when that didn't happen on September 6, he changed it to September 29. And then October 2. And in 2005, Camping said that Jesus was coming on May 21, 2011. And uh, after May 21 failed, he, he moved it to October 21, 2011. But you know what? At least, and let me read this, later Camping admitted in private interview that he no longer believed that anyone could know the time of the rapture. And in March 2000, uh, 2012, he stated that his attempts to predict the date was sinful and that his critics had been right in emphasizing the words of Matthew 24:36, of that day and hour no man knoweth. Why didn't he hold that Bible truth earlier? He died on December 15, 2013. You know, <clears throat> once more, we may see now that the erroneous idea that one may know the time of Jesus' return can wreak havoc in lives. In many of these instances, and, and Harold Camping's instance as well, um, people they had. They gave their wealth away because Jesus was coming. They didn't need it. Uh, and, and they neglected. In every one of these instances, that happened. People were so confused about this that it just caused great havoc. There will be a generation of believers who will not see death when Jesus returns. But every Christian, all of us, need to prepare for death. We cannot know the time that Jesus will come since God has held that date very close to his own heart. And uh, it'll be wonderful for the saints who, who are alive and, and meet him in the air. I would love to see that. I really would. I'd rather, I'd rather see the upper taker than the undertaker, but I don't have any guarantee of it. Okay? So that brings us to number three. All sickness is the result of faithlessness or all sickness is the result of sin. I can't tell you how many older folks 
that I've known through the years have come to believe that because they were sick. Well, is God punishing me? Because I can't, I've got this cancer. Has God punished me for something I did, something I said, for the way I treated somebody? Is God, am I under God's punishment? You know? And, and it's true that sometimes older folks labor under that perception. They think that maybe God's punishing them for something. Well, um, there, are, there are those who teach that there is no sickness that God will not heal if you have enough faith. And that false teaching can be utterly devastating to a sick older person. It may tear him up as he thinks that, that he has, he's exercised great faith and yet there's no healing. What's going on here? The confusion and the doubt caused, caused by that, that, that only exasperates uh, the sickness itself. Some may begin to question God's promises. Elderly people who are suffering from some infirmity need encouragement and help. They don't need that kind of a problem heaped upon other problems that they already have. And then there's another issue that we had. It falls right along with this. That sometimes older people tend to think that adverse things that happen to them, like illness, like sickness, or bad circumstances, are the result of some sin or failure on their part to live up to God's standards. This is one of the devil's devices to keep you discouraged and unproductive in your later years. Please hear that. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from how much sin? All sin. Past, present, future. 1 John 1, 7. And then two verses later, a verse that probably all of us can quote, and let me read it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, your notes, by the way, the notes you have got a lot of errors in them. The reason for that is because, because I was in Arizona, I didn't have time to proofread this the notes that I sent to Sandy to print out for you. I didn't have time to do the proofreading and, and uh, so forth. And so here's, a, here's some, oh wait a minute, I forgot. This is not in your notes. <laughs> what I'm giving you right now is not in your notes. So if, let me go ahead and say what I was gonna say. If, that is not true, Romans, uh, um, 1 John 1, 9. If that's not true, then God has lied to us. If it is true, and it is, and if you've asked forgiveness for anything, any sin in your life, uh, you can have confidence in the fact that God is not punishing you for anything. Hear that, folks. However bad it gets, it's not God's punishment, it's just you getting old. Whatever circumstances, then things change. You know, when we get old, things change. Uh, maybe we have to move or, or, or uh, you know, things different. Things are different. And I'm going to talk about change here in a minute. And, and, maybe, and, and, you, and, and the devil will come to you and say, ha, 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 God's got you. I mean, I got you now, you know. God's punishing you. Don't listen to that slew foot. He's a liar. We're told that in John 8.44. He's a murderer, a liar from the beginning because he's the father of all lies. God's not the liar. Satan's the liar. And so believe God and his word and God, let God send Satan to the lake of fire one of these days because that's where he's going. When the... When the uh, uh, millennium uh, comes, he's going to be cast in the abyss, and then after that, the final judgment, he's going to cast, be cast in the lake of fire, where the devil and his angels are. Wait a minute, I'm talking about the devil. Yeah, he'll be there. All right, a little confused. Anyway, um, 
I lost my place here in my nose. Let me catch myself up here. God doesn't keep account of sin that is forgiven and cleansed by his precious blood. Doesn't keep an account of it. Uh, whatever account he may have been keeping of it before you got saved, he just wiped that out. The precious blood of Christ wiped that out, okay? And then number four here, change is better. And uh, when it's not necessarily. Change, change is better. Sometimes we fall for that lie. It isn't exactly a doctrine, but many elderly people believe that when their spouse dies, they'll move to Florida or Arizona, California, Nevada, somewhere, and, uh, and live the remainder of their lives in sunny ease. Now, sometimes that works out okay, but most, most times it doesn't work out okay. Locations do not change a person. Whenever, wherever he goes, he takes himself along together with all of his baggage. And uh, if, if, uh, if your spouse has passed away or when your spouse may pass away, if you think, well, if I, if I move, if I make this decision, if I, maybe I can go to Florida and just enjoy, enjoy the sun down there. Don't make that decision right away. Don't make any, don't make any life-changing or life-affecting decision right away. It's not a smart thing to do, okay? And I'll say a little bit more about that here in just a few moments. But um, uh, uh, he, he, also, he also leaves uh, old surroundings behind, may leave a church that he loves, as well as a family and friends. And in a new place, he finds it very difficult to develop new friendships with his peers. And before you know it, he's longing to be back home again. It's too late now. He sold all, of, all and invested often poorly in housing and other things in the sunshine land. Uh, it's not always wise. It's not always a wise decision for the elderly who have recently lost a loved one to make immediate great changes. I hope you'll take note of that. And that means that they should not make large expenditures, decisions to sell or to move, to take a cruise around the world or the like. It's best to get perspective on things before making any radical decisions. Usually, they should wait six months or so, at least. And there's enough change to get used to after the loss of loved ones that we don't need those kind of changes. And uh, to deliberately throw new unnecessary things uh, that usually turn out to be more losses into, into the equation will only deepen the loss. Wise counsel from one's pastor to this effect uh, will be greatly appreciated in a year or two after. And so if you've got some questions about that, uh, seek out some spiritual help. Go to, go to pastor and say, Pastor, can you help me to make a right decision? Or a trusted family member, okay? And then uh, another problem that is often faced by the elder, missing the will of God. I've had this, I've counseled several people with this. Pastor, you know, God back called me to preach and I, and I didn't answer the call. I missed God's will for my life and now I'm paying the price for it. You ever heard anybody say that? It's a sad thing, it really is. But you know there's some seniors that live with that. I messed up and I've missed the will of God. And so that becomes a problem. I could go on mentioning uh, false doctrines uh, that have caused older people untold heartache and despair now let me just say this one, let me just add this one, and then the next one's not necessarily a false doctrine, something else. But it's the idea of having missed out on God's perfect will. Those who believe this doctrine teach you that you may, that you may live the rest of your life at a sort of secondary or inferior level because somewhere along the line you got off the main track. And because you failed, because you failed to see the, the right switch, 
You made a bad move and got on another track and there's no way to get back on the main track. Uh, you're, you're, you're stuck and you have to remain there now and you're, you're really immersed in regrets. I have a sermon that I pre in fact I preached it here a number of years ago, regrets. And you know there are people that live with regrets that shouldn't be living with regrets. And we can go back to the same thing I said in the former point, and that is the fact that God's blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Well, maybe God did call you to preach and you failed. But God majors, God majors in fixing failures. And it's all in the blood of Christ. And I believe that God, even though maybe we, we missed the right track that God actually wanted us, uh, we can say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for that. And 1 John 1, 9 will kick in. God will say, okay, here's another track. Get on that. Make it count. So wherever you are now, thank God that he's given you another track. He's given you another chance. He did that for Jonah, you know. God gave him another chance after he failed. God majors in that. And, uh, and I, don't think, I don't think God punished Jonah after Jonah got on the right track. God didn't really punish Jonah for what he failed to do in the past because it got accomplished anyway. You see. All right. Uh, let me see. Where did I... Such teaching defies what Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The te that teaching sets aside the historic biblical view in order to accept the new erroneous one that causes confusion, sorrow, and unnecessary difficulty. So, uh, so no one heading into old age should think, should think that because he has missed God's perfect will. It's impossible to do anything about it, you think. But instead, you must see that it, it, it's never too late to start living as you ought to and therefore, therefore make up for losses in uh, of early years. No Christian need to ever despair of being able to do God's will at any stage of his life. You can do it if you will. If you failed God in the past, say, God, I'm so sorry. I failed you. But I want to live for you now and do the best I can now. And you can do that. And when you ask God's forgiveness, the past is gone. The future's ahead of you. Do the most of it, okay? And here's one. This is not in yours. I thought of this later after I sent these notes to be printed, your notes to be printed. I thought of this later, and I thought, you know, this is, this is, this is important, and I need to cover it. And this is senior scams. Do you realize that a lot of scams are a target seniors? A lot of scams target seniors. Let me warn you of some of them. Scams are not necessarily doctrinal errors, but they, are, they, they surely are troublesome to many senior saints. Listen to this statement. Write it down. If it's too good to be true, it always is. If it's too good to be true, it always is. That is, it's always too good to be true. Okay? Beware of someone you don't know wanting to do something for you that will make you wealthy or save you a lot of money. And even if you know them, don't do it without talking to a trusted family member first. I can guarantee you that what they're about to do is drain your bank account. If you get an offer like that, or if you get a threatening letter or phone call from someone who says they are with the IRS or the FBI or any other organization, don't fall for it by any means. 
Do not give them any information about anything. Don't even tell them what day of the week it is. Hang up. On June the 18th, uh, 2011, Luke Barr, who was a reporter for ABC News, he filed a report entitled, Senior Citizens Lost Almost $1 Billion in, scam, in Scams Last Year. That would have been uh, 2020. Uh, his information was based on F FBI reports. His report showed that the total that a total of 105,301 people over the age of 65 were scammed, with an average loss of $9,175, and almost 2,000 older Americans lost more than $100,000 each. And his his what he says in his report, he wrote this. Each year, millions of elderly Americans fall victim to some type of financial fraud or internet scheme, such as romance schemes, tech support uh, fraud, the lottery, or sweet, uh, sweepstakes schemes. Criminals gain their targets, they gain their targets trust, or, or use tactics of, uh, of intimidation to threat, uh, and threats to take advantage of their victims, said Calvin Shivers. Uh, assistant director of the FBI's criminal division. Once successful, scammers are likely to keep a scam going because of the, per, because of the, of the prospect of significant financial gains. Here's another one. Ken Paxton, who is or was the Attorney General of Texas, posted an article entitled, entitled Senior Scams, and here's what he wrote. What time is it? Is it 11.58? All right. Um, <clears throat> this is what he wrote. He says, seniors are targeted every day through email, regular mail, and telephone. Nearly every scam is, de is designed to trick you into, into spending money or providing, uh, providing your personal information. Um, the first way scammers do this is to get you to believe something good will happen to you, like winning a prize, if you do what they say. The other is by scaring you into, into believing something terrible uh, has or will happen to you, like your home will be, re, re, uh, will be for, foreclosed on, if you, or you'll be arrested. If you don't say, if you don't, if you, come on Coles, put your mind in gear, okay? If you don't do as they say, in either case, through kindness or bullying, bullying, they try to get you to send them money or disclose your personal financial information. Remember that no legitimate government agency, business, or organization will make unsolicited contact with you and then, and then ask you to provide your personal information. Nor will any legitimate prize uh, giveaway, government grant, lottery, or sweepstakes require you to pay anything up front to claim your winnings. Your best protection against scam uh, scammers making unsolicited contact with you is to hang up and, and not respond to their attempts to steal, steal your money or your good name. Hang up your phone, shred the correspondence, delete the email, or shut the door and call the police. I, uh, I was plagued here a couple years ago with a telephone call and it just kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And the voice in the other was very crude. There's a, there's a warrant out for your arrest. I'm so-and-so from the FBI and you, from the IRS and you owe us uh, several thousand dollars and if you don't pay up right now, you, the, the arrest warrant will be served. Anybody ever get that call? Yeah. Hang up and hang up hard so it slams in their ear, okay? <laughs> or get a trumpet and blow into the phone, yeah. <laughs> of course, it'll ruin your phone, but. <laughs> yeah, the IRS never calls anybody, never. All the correspondence you ever get from the IRS will be by mail. And even then you can 
check it out, okay? And same with FBI or any other organization, you know. Don't fall for the devil's lie. Don't get scammed. I'm not going to ask if anyone here has gotten scammed because it's none of my business, but, uh, but I hope not. But don't listen to them. Somebody comes to the door and says, you know what, <clears throat> your shingles need to be replaced and I got a special deal for you. That's a good time to slam the door in their face. <laughs> if, you're, if your shingles are giving you a problem, go to Reggie and ask, for him a good recommend, ask him a good recommendation. Now he's not going to get up there and do it for you, but he's got somebody that, that, that is trustworthy that'll do it for you. The same thing if you need your deck repaired. Now, Reggie may do that, and, and Tommy, I'm not sure they did mine, but they're getting old now, and I don't know what they do anymore. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you, if you go to one of them, they can, they can give you a name of some reputable person that won't take you to the woodshed and steal your money. Now, they'll want some of your money. They've got to do that. You know, They've got, they got to put some bread on the table. But they're not going to steal it. And uh, so be wise. Don't be scammed. Okay? Well, I'm going to quit. So that thing says it's 1201. Is that right? All right. And you can read the conclusion. You've got that there. You go ahead and read that. It says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. All right. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And God, we just thank you for this period of this season of life that you've allowed us to enter into. I pray it'll be joyous. I pray, God, that it'll be a wise thing that we will we'll enjoy life even though we, we, we do have aches and pains and so forth. God, be precious to us and help us to be true to you, Lord. And um, for this is our, the whole duty of our life. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.